And we are back for the 257th time. Glad you're here at the Parish of the Patriots. I'm excited to be here. It's always fun. It's going to be a fun ride. If you're new, trust me, this is going to be a fun ride. Also, if you're new, we do have a Christian-specific segment. A sermon, if you would, that'll be roughly the halfway point of the show. And if you miss out, if you like, I ain't even listening to that, you're missing the whole point of the show. It's fun. You can just give it one listen. Just say, yeah, just one time. If you decide it sucks, then you can keep on trucking. If you decide it doesn't suck, then we pass the plate around. Don't be shy. Pay those ties. Drop something in there. You'll notice we look right here on the description page. I got, well, I got snail mail. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all I got. Don't have any crypto addresses up right now. I'm kind of honest, as I've already stated before, I mean, the the, the, the wallets are fine. They're, you know, they're, they're private wallets. I just lost my ability currently to cash them out, which is a hassle. It's not the end of the world. And, and I didn't keep money on exchanges or anything. You know, so I didn't lost any money. But what I've lost is my ability to transfer and, and, and cash out. And obviously, if I can't turn it into real money, it doesn't do me a whole lot of good. Now, setting up on these things, being as I live in the U.S., you have to do all of this go through all of these hoops. I don't feel like doing that again. You know, sending your driver's license and pictures of yourself. Each place has a different thing and you have to do all this crap. And then come tax time, if you handle Bitcoin at all, you've got to file out this paperwork. You know, which I do because I don't give them any opportunity. <laughs> Believe me, I don't want to give them any opportunity to mess with me. And so you had to fill out all this paperwork. So since I can't cash it out, I'm kind of conducting an experiment. What about we just go with snail mail? You know, what if I skip all the hoops I have to uh, jump through and, and we just do snail mail? Sometimes analog is the ultimate privacy coin. You know, it's kind of like if I wanted to send a, century, a secret code, if I wanted to write something to somebody that was just going to be passed along, you know, like say if you, you were back in high school, say suddenly you were back in high school and you're sitting in today's high school. And, and, and you wanted to pass a note to one of your classmates and you didn't want people reading the note. You could sit here and write the note in cursive. And as they would be like, I'm reading your note. And you'd be like, go ahead, sucker. And they, they unfold it and they're like, what is this secret script? I cannot decipher the secret script. It's all wiggled together. It's cursive. Sometimes analog. You see, snail mail is the ultimate privacy coin. I know. You're all concerned about privacy. Snail mail is kind of the ultimate privacy coin when you think about it. So I am. I, I can go jump through the hoops again and get it's not the end of the world. Get back doing, you know, where I could cash out the cryptocurrency. But I really, I kind of don't want to mess with it, honestly. I mean, so I'm conducting this experiment. See if we just do snail mail. Because I hate filling out the tax paperwork. I hate jumping through the hoops and, and doing all this. And then you send it in and a computer looks at it. And half time you do everything like they say. And they say, we can't verify that's really you. And resend it. And then they're like, you sent it too many times. The algorithm can't. I just, I don't know. Let's see. Let's hit the listener supporter mailbag. We do have some listener supporter mailbag, believe it or not. Mr. T's writes, GPD, please remind your listeners that sending a few bucks your way via snail mail won't send Basad zip lining through their windows. Again, that's from Mr. T. And I'm not going to lie. I 100%, I'm telling y'all, 100% truth. When I read this the first time, because you know, I open, I read through here. And, and when I read this first time, I literally laughed out loud, Mr. T. That's the funniest thing you've ever sent me. Yes, Masad is not going to come zip lining. Zip lining through your window. We uh, infiltrated the post office. We uh, steamed open the envelopes. We steamed open the envelopes going to GPD. Lifted fingerprints, ran them through the forensic lab <laughs> so that we could track you down. Zip line through the window. Very good. <laughs> good stuff I, I did i literally laughed out loud about that uh gpd uh another late dough for the show life and clown world keeps getting me uh, further and further behind lol hope all is well with you and yours all the best as always and that's from jackie thank you very much jackie it is very much appreciated and yeah i mean things things are all right you know i i'm, I'm not gonna complain i we're in uh, February now. We're in February now, and I've gone through. I'm, 
I'm not going to try to I've gone through this uh, winter season and I've not gotten sick one time, really. I mean, yeah, my sinuses are always bad, but that's just, that's just normal. I got, you know, but, but, you know, all in all, you know, things are good. I haven't even really gotten sick yet this year. And, uh, Massad hasn't come zip lining through my windows. <laughs> I haven't had that. I haven't had anybody zip lining through the windows. All, all is, uh, you know, I mean, I can't complain. I, you know, I, I really, you know, life is kind of just how you view it. You know, I mean, it just, it's, you know, like the old saying, you know, life is what you make of it. And, and there is a certain amount of, of, of truth to that. You know, just, you know, you start getting more focused as you as you focus and, and realize the things that do matter and, and the things the things a lot of people think are valuable in this society. And you, you realize more and more that that it doesn't matter, you know, that those things aren't actually valuable like at all. And and the things that people don't pay any mind to. I, one of the things that really strikes me in this uh, regard is the is the concept of time. You know, time is so valuable and we sell it so cheap. I, depending on where you live, you know, I, I got to speak from Texas terms here. That's where I live. We could get more local. Because if you live out in crazy California or you live up in, you know, New York City and Yankee Land, you know, y'all cost of living up in those areas is just insane, you know. But it's kind of filtered down here. It's kind of gotten more insane in Texas. And, but if you live in Texas, if you're if you got a job and you're making say twenty dollars an hour, that's pretty good wages. You know, if you're making twenty dollars an hour, people are gonna say, "Man, that's a pretty good job." Maybe she hang on to that. But you think that you have this limited number of hours in your life, and you're selling them for twenty bucks a pop. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> that is, at the end of the day, really really cheap. Because if you only knew, if you if you woke up today and somebody told you this is your last day, you got 10 hours of life left, don't matter what you do, don't matter if you stay at home, the house will fall in on you. If you go to town, you're going to get in a wreck. If you're just walking around out in the out in the desert, you're going to fall over from a heart attack. Because today, you got 10 hours left and you're going to die. Would you sell that 10 hours for 20 bucks a pop? I'd buy that $200. Hell yeah. No, you wouldn't. That would be like so valuable to you. I always say a rich man on his deathbed would spend millions of dollars for another 10 hours, for another hour even, just one more hour of life. And yet we spend our lives just, just selling it, selling it on the cheap. So one of the blessings of basically being unemployable now is <laughs> the, the offside is being broke. The, the, the plus side is that you realize how valuable time is. You, you sell that time by the hour and you're actually selling something that's very valuable at a really cheap price. That's why, that's why they're buying it because it's a bargain for them. They're just buying your time. They're paying you. They're buying your time. They own you for that amount of time per day. And, and they're buying it cheap. That's why they're doing it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. If it was expensive, they wouldn't be doing that deal. We sell it off cheap. And you realize that things like time and being able to do certain things, it's, 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 that, is, that is a blessing. It is some of the, one of the things that actually really kind of matters in this life. Anyway, I, I, I'm recording this as usual. I'm recording this over the weekend. Nine times out of ten, I record this on either Saturday or Sunday and, and get posted up because I've got to post up Matt Johnson's, uh, Dr. Johnson's work. Uh, I've got to record, obviously, Fridays I have a daily nationalist record. Mondays I have a daily nationalist record. And this show being an hour show, not a 30-minute show, I, I like to do it you know, on the weekend ahead of time. That's why it's not necessarily, this isn't necessarily a current event show. That's one of the nice things. I've had a hard time getting used to doing the Daily Nationalist, but now I realize that like the Daily Nationalist is being a current event show. I kind of cover current, I get to talk about current events there. So this show, I'm kind of freed up to just ramble about whatever I want, which has kind of always been the uh, format for, but even more so now. But I have, I'm recording this on the weekends. And, and as I record this, of course, the U.S. bombing more places in the Middle East while talking out of the other side of their mouth about not wanting to escalate. And, I, and, and of course, this is gibberish. But at the same time, I do think they really fear an escalation. I mean, let's be honest, their track record on winning these conflicts is not exactly uh, stellar. 
you got to laugh at the dynamic because you know a few short years ago, if for instance you said uh, they say the the U.S. government, you know, is basically how do I want to say at the beck and call of the government of Israel. Well, you get labeled an anti-Semite. I mean, they still do that now, but they'd label you an anti-Semite. Maybe have Mossad zipline through your windows. <laughs> That's going to keep coming back. They may have Mossad zipline through your windows because you're an anti-Semite. You can't, it's, it's, it's anti-Semitism to, to even insinuate that uh, the Israeli government has undue influence over the U.S. government. And now, it's just so in your, I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, you've got the government, the U.S. government sends bombs and all these billions of dollars to Israel. And then they show up like beggars with their hat in their hand going, begging Netanyahu, you know, please, please tone it down a little bit. And he flips him off in front of the camera, basically. He, 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 he rhetorically flips him off and says he can do whatever he wants to do and keep bombing whoever he wants to bomb. And they all just go back home and talk about what we really, we, we're highly encouraging them to try to minimize civilian casualties, but we still support them unequivocally to ultimate victory over Hamas. And now, like, everybody, it's there for everybody to see. It's just, you can't unsee these things. You can't unnotice these things. But I do think elements in the U.S. government really, you know, they don't want to. They kind of, at the end of the day, they got to do what they're told. But I do think there's elements in, in the government that really don't want to escalate this. You know, I mean, when they, they, they feel obligated when a drone lands in a U.S. base and kills somebody. You know, they've got to or they've got to respond. Of course, they could respond by just saying, well, we don't need all these bases all over, but they're not going to do that, of course. But I do think on a certain level, there are elements that don't want to, they don't want to escalate this because it's not into their, uh, it's not going to be to their advantage. And and they want to wind this down. You know, I, I you see some signals where they're trying to figure out some way to get this to wind down. You, they're no doubt trying to make some sort of deals and, and, and find a way to manipulate the situation, try to get things to wind down. Now, maybe they will. I don't know. Personally, I kind of have this. I have this feeling that God wants to destroy me. I'm going to, I'm preaching you just a second here, but do I, I, I do think God, his judgment is against the U S and is going to destroy it with some form of fire. You know, so at least some form of societal collapse and the whole thing falls apart. So it doesn't matter what they do. They fight against God. I think God wants to destroy, God wants to destroy, destroy this filthy country. And so ultimately I don't think it's going to matter. They might want to de-escalate all they want, but at some point in time, all their plans will come to naught. That's just a guess. I ain't, I ain't trying to be a prophet here. But I mean, I look around and I mean, I think it's kind of, you see the trajectory. You see, the other side gets a saying. The U.S. is desperately trying to de-escalate in certain areas because they know there's going to be people. I mean, they got all these morons that come out and talk from the camera, but there are going to be some people behind the scene that do have a little sense. And they're sitting there telling them the morons, look, we're stretched thin. We don't even have the we don't have the logistical ability to do any of these conflicts. We we got to figure out some way to reel all this in, regather, regroup, reaccumulate some supplies. We got to wind everything down. Then we you know, wind everything down, come up with a fake peace in the Ukraine or something so that then we can get our uh, weapons supplies. And then next time we'll come back in a couple of years and attack Russia harder. We got to wind it down. But you see, the other side gets a saying. They know that. They're going to come at Russia probably, and they probably are in some back channels be like, well, what if we just come out, set up a thing like Korea and have like a demilitarized zone and like Ukraine won't surrender, but we just say that, you know, we've called a truce in the hostilities, just like Korea. And Russia knows now, after shitting all over the Minsk Accords and coming out and laughing in their face years later and going, yeah, we never intended to go by that. That was just a trick so we could build up Ukraine's military to attack them. <laughs> you know, like, like they're going to forget that. You know, the other side has a saying. Now, if you're coming at this from Russia and China's perspective and Iran's perspective, you, you, you're not going to give them the chance to do that. They're sitting there going, let's wind this down. We're ready for some peace. Let's just let's, 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 this is call a truce. And you're going to be like, yeah, no, no. You're going to keep pushing the buttons. You know, maybe not so much, you know, to blow things up, but to where they don't have a choice. You know, drop a drone 
in a military base. They got no choice now but to use more weapons, shoot off more missiles. They're extremely expensive and not instantly replaceable either. They may be desperately, there may be elements. I'm sure there's voices inside the government that are desperately going. We got to find a way to get withdrawn from some of these conflicts. We're running out of stuff. They're already borrowing artillery shells from Japan. I don't know if you can call it borrowing because Japan just, you know, they're occupied. They just got to do what they're told. But they're borrowing artillery shells from Japan. And they're saying, oh, we're going to make all these shells. But then they turn around and admit, if you read the fine print, it's going to take years for them to do that. Now, if you're one of these countries that the U.S. is constantly calling an axis of evil or whatever the hell else, are you going to sit around and give them that time so they can rebuild up their weapons supplies to attack you three, four, five years down the road? No, you're going to just poke them just enough to where they feel obligated to keep blowing shit up, to keep responding, to keep spending more money, spending more military equipment. I always find it funny when one of these government spokespeople comes out and talks about, well, we're considering this or we're considering that. And like the other party doesn't even have a say in it. You know, like you're just going to show up and they're just going to bow down at your feet. And, oh, thank you for being so generous. Thank you. Thank you, Massa, for being so generous and and helping me out. No, the other side has a saying or I'm sorry. The other side has a say in the matter. And uh, after you know, you made like I say, after the public spectacle they made out of coming out and laughing about the Minsk Accords, all they never intended to follow that, follow up with that in good faith. It was all just a trick to begin with. The other side doesn't have a whole lot of motivation to take you at your word. Yeah. So even if you want to escalate, maybe the other side isn't going to let you do that. You see, you don't have ultimate control over the world. Other people make their decisions. You know, they're going to make their decisions. They got to keep you stretched. They got to be overextended. See, that's a problem. These people. This is where these leaders being extremely stupid. Because in this democracy system, you don't get smart people. It ain't like the smartest people get elected. The best liars get elected. The best actors get elected. That's the way this system works. And the problem with this, like for instance, when they came out later and, and admitted. The, the, the Minsk agreements they signed, they never had any intention of following through with that. You know, at some point in time, you need the other side to be able to ink agreements with you. But when you've demonstrated that you are agreement non-compliable, you can't be trusted on anything. At some point in time, you need the other side to sit down with you and make an agreement. But there's no reason for them to do that when you've demonstrated that you can't be trusted like at all to adhere to your agreements. Russia's been over backwards. It's kind of to the point of being comical. You know, Russia's over this whole conflict. You know, they keep delivering on the gas contracts to Europe. And people are like, why don't they just shut the gas off? I mean, Europe is like at war with you. The EU is essentially at war with you. And you're still delivering gas. Doesn't even make any sense. But Russia's trying to make this, you know, they're, they're, this is demonstrated for the rest of the world. Doesn't have anything to do with EU. And they're demonstrating the rest of the world that they abide by their agreements. And what that message sends, the opposite of the one that the U.S. sends, is that if you sign an agreement with Russia, if you sign an agreement with China or whoever, if you sign an agreement with these people, they'll stand to it. And, and I mean, it is a good message, smart thinking. It doesn't make sense on its face. You look at it and be like, man, I'd cut that damn gas off in a heartbeat and let them freeze. But it does make sense in a big picture scheme of things because they want everyone else in the world to look at this and go, because it, with this global conflict now, it doesn't look like World War II or something, but it is a form of World War III. Everybody in the world is having to pick a side. Well, if you're one of these countries that's having to pick a side, who are you going to sign up an agreement with? You're going to sign up an agreement with the U.S. that is that like the ink may not even be dry on the paper and then they're just going to go and do something else. Or are you going to sign an agreement with Russia that they have demonstrated that even when the EU is sending bombs to blow their dudes up, they still deliver in the gas because after all, they signed a contract and they want to they want to honor their agreements. I'm going to tell you who I that, that ain't even a tough decision. It's funny watching these people, too, who have tried to fence it. 
I'm talking about nations here. And it does translate to, to a certain degree to individual people in our clown society, too, if you think about it. But you look at these fence-sitting nations, you know. Serbia has tried to fence-sit this whole thing. On the one hand, they're trying to be, like, you know, friendly with Russia. On the other hand, they over there, you know, giving a hand job to the EU because they say they want to be a member of the EU. Hungary is another example. They're in the EU. And they want to do the whole, they want the whole EU benefits, but at the same time, they're still trying to be a sovereign country. That ain't what it is. It's readily apparent that you sign up for the EU. The minute you signed up for the EU, you signed over your sovereignty. That's the way it were. You got these unelected EU officials that are setting policy. Not Hungary, not Germany, not France. Ursula is setting policy. You got these EU officials. They set the policy. You signed over your sovereignty. And you see these fence-sitting countries. Like Serbia, for instance. They sit in there and, and they're trying to fence-sit. And now on the one hand, they'll be like, well, we're independent and, and we, we're not going to be hostile towards Russia. And on the other hand, trying to say, but we want to join the EU. And then they're surprised when a color revolution shows up in their country. What the hell do you expect? Same thing. Hungary trying to be like, well, we're in the EU, but we're going to still set our own policy. No, you're not. They just commit economic blackmail and they just blackmail Hungary and say, look, you either go along with the program or you're going to suffer the consequences from it. I'm surprised Mossad hasn't ziplined through Orban's windows. <laughs> ziplined in there because, I mean, you can't fence it. And that's what everybody in the world is also learning. You look, the fence sitters are always going to be the ones that are, that are going to get. The sooner you make a choice and pick a side, the better off you're going to be. You know, better off you're going to be. It, it, it's yeah, and, and sometimes the side gets picked for you. This Malay guy in Argentina. You know, Doctor Johnson did a very good show on that. If you if you missed that one, go back and find it. it was in his Daily Nationalist shows. And you know, you, I read these people that are like, he is a true libertarian. He's bringing capitalism back. No, he is obviously handpicked by the U.S. and was put in there. I mean, the guy's number one uh, priorities. He wants to tie his entire economy to the U.S. dollar. Hey, figure out what side he's on. This country, they got to pick a side. That's the way global conflicts work. You got to pick a side with a bigger power. You a little country. You got to pick a side. You better pick well. I watch some of these countries and, and, and they make laughably bad decisions. And a lot of times they're run by women, which is, tells you something. I always make fun, you know, of, of these little countries like Estonia, you know, Lithuanian, little countries. And they so on board. They pick their side. I mean, you give them credit. They pick their side, but they pick the U.S. side. And not only do they pick the U.S. side, like, they make it a point to, like, talk hella shit at Russia continuously. Now, me, I'm looking at this thing, and I'd be like, let's see. You can throw a rock out the window of your, your tiny country, which is like, not even the size of a major Texas city. <laughs> and, and you could throw a rock out of your window of your little joke country and hit Russia. But you side with the U.S. that's on the other side, basically on the other side of the planet. And not only that, you think you hiding behind eight, Article 5 of the NATO treaty. You like, you like the little runt guy. Who, who, who couldn't fight his way out of a paper sack, but he, he's convinced the, the big bad dude will have his side. So he's over here talking smack to this other big bad dude. Because, you, you know, you think that if, if, if you, they're, like, they're like women at a bar. They're like some drunk chick at a bar. And for attention, she's trying to do this whole, how about you and him fight over me? That's what these little joke countries you little old countries that ain't even the size of a U.S. city. And they, they, they sitting there talking shit and they just like a drunk chick at the bar. It is like I say, it's, 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 it's kind of fitting that a lot of these countries are run by women. They just doing this whole, they got the U S over here. You got, they got the U S with its hand up her skirt and she's bending over and showing her tits to Russia. And she like, why don't you and him fight over me? Waving Article 5 around, dumb bitch. Article 5. Like, you, you really think the U.S., which is what NATO is, if Russia called the bluff today, 
it ain't going to, I don't, but if Russia did, just hypothetically, if Russia called the bluff today, rolled into one of these joke countries, I guarantee you that you're going to find out real fast that Article 5 don't mean they're going to war for you. Article 5 means they're going to maybe send you some weapons or uh, or issue some sanctions or some shit. You joke country. They ain't going to they ain't going to fight Russia over Estonia or Latvia or one of these little places. And no, I couldn't find those places on the map. They ain't big enough to be on no damn map. <laughs> ain't big enough to be on no damn map. I live in Texas. My state is bigger than Germany. Don't even be coming at me with, you can't find it on a map. No, I don't even want to. Hell, it ain't big enough to be on no damn map. And you over here talking shit. U.S. rubbing around on your panties and you're showing your tits to Russia going, why don't you and him fight over me? They ain't going to fight over you, dumb bitch. (laughs) They ain't going to fight over you. You can just be, you just got to find out real quick that you're just getting played. It makes sense, so... I don't know. I thought that illustration was funny. It's so funny. I had to reference it a couple times. I hope I'm not the only one laughing. It's so silly to me, though, that you'd be in a, a small country. Look, a small country, you know, whether, you know, regardless of actual size, but the smaller the country, the more relevant it is. I mean, a small country is going to obviously, you know, have to be aligned with a bigger, more powerful country. It's just the way the world works. You're going to have to have ties with one of these bigger powers. You know, you look at a country like Belarus, you know, well, I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're tied to Russia. There's no question about whose side Belarus is on. Mexico came out here a while back and basically said they would like to side with Russia and China, but it's literally impossible for them. I mean, they, they worded it in diplomatic terms. But they basically said, Mexico basically said, look, we'd really like to side with Russia and China. But, I mean, we literally share a border with the U.S. There's just no way we can do that. They won't stand for it. Oh, you mean like Russia and the Ukraine? Like I say, you watch the bumbling leadership in Washington, and it's like a lot of them don't grasp this to a certain extent. Or they make these, um, they've, they've made these deals and they've and because they make these deals, they can't. They have no room to maneuver. No, they have no room to maneuver. The fact the U.S. government is basically operated out of Tel Aviv for all practical purposes. I, I said this before. I laugh whenever I read some Normie news article or news opinion piece, and and they talk about you know Tel Aviv as a client state. The U.S. needs to be whipping them in shape and telling them to quit the genocide. It's like you ain't been paying attention. They ain't the client state. The client states in Washington, for all practical purposes, the shots are being called out of Tel Aviv. I don't know how you don't notice that at this point. It's willfully not seeing it if you don't see it at this point. But because that is the case, because that is the case, the U.S. is basically, again, staying on the theme of everybody's having to pick a side. These Middle Eastern countries are just basically forced into the Russia-China camp. If they haven't been yet, they will be by their own populations. Because it's obvious to anybody now, I mean, if you pick the U.S. side, you're also, by that extension, submitting to Israel. And I don't care how popular or how much authority a ruler in a Middle Eastern Muslim country has, if they're seen as bowing down to Israel via siding with the U.S., then their own populations are going to drag them out of the royal palace, and that's going to be that that's going to be getting really ugly really fast. You're going to have a revolution. So they force they force people into the other side's camp. That's a problem. With making some of these deals, you know, I, I I like Paul Craig Roberts. I read some of his stuff, a lot of his stuff, and, and it's good. But he misses the point. And he doesn't understand certain things, and and I just honestly I chalk that up to age. And I'm not you know being insulting or anything such as that. But I do I chalk it up to age. And recently he's been complaining that you know Russia and China need to sign like a mutual defense pact, probably with Iran, like NATO. They need to sign up deal and tell the U.S. an attack on one of these countries is an attack on all of us. And you're going to face going to war with all of us. And his reasoning behind that 
And understandably so. And this is why I say I chalk it up to age. And I'm not, like I say, I'm not downing on him like boomer downing or something. But this is this mentality. And, and with age, sometimes you, you lose this ability to step back and say, well, that, you know, that may not be the best course of action. He hounds the Russian Chinese Putin needs to sign these mutual defense agreements so that the U S will quit escalating. The U S will be forced to back off if they understand that an attack on one of these countries is an attack on all of them, just like NATO, just like a NATO against NATO, an anti-NATO. They need to sign this. But the problem with that is the problem you see the U.S. and the reason they're not doing that. I always say when you see somebody like Xi Jinping from China or, or, or Putin in Russia, and you understand that these people are not stupid people, and they're doing things that you think, you know, they're not doing. I guess I should put it in this context. They're not doing something you think you think they ought to be doing. There's a good chance they're smarter than you. And there's a good chance there's a reason they're not doing that. Now, in the case of this idea of a mutual defense treaty, the problem with these, as we see now with the U the U.S. has done so many of these that they have obligations all over the world. And now they, they're meaningless, like all the other agreements the U.S. has made. And it becomes apparent that not only will the U.S. not come to somebody's defense and the and the agreement is meaningless. I, I referenced earlier, they always talk about Article 5 means if you go to war, you're going to be warned with the U.S. If you invade Estonia, no, they're not. Nobody really believes that. I say nobody. Apparently some of these morons do. But they become meaningless. And the other problem is you, you you tie yourself in the corner. In other words, if you sign this agreement, you sign an agreement with the country says, okay, because right now this country's interests align with yours and you sign this binding mutual defense agreement. Okay, that's all well and good, but times change. And maybe down the road, that country has a change of leadership. And now they got a guy running the country that's a real asshole and he's doing real asshole things and, you know, provoking people all over the place. And he's fixing to get his ass into a big war. And here you are tied to an agreement that you're going to join in and you don't want to join in because this guy is the one starting all of it. This guy is the one causing all of these problems. You won't be drug into a war by this guy, but you signed this agreement. You see, it backs you into a corner and you don't have any negotiating room. And you see, a lot of that is where the U.S. is now. And yet people can't let go of that thinking. And Paul Craig Roberts is one of them. And he's been sitting there, go on and on about Russia needs to do these mutual defense agreements so that the U.S. understands that they don't, they'll back off. And he doesn't realize that that's a lot of the reason the U.S. is in the position it's in. It's so overextended. It's laughable. Anyway, anyway, we're going to get into the Christian specific. I'm looking at the time. We got to get in. We got to keep rolling. Time to get into the best part. Time to get into the Christian-specific segment. You know what to do. Get in there, fill those pews. Let's get into this week's sermon here at the Parish of the Patriots. And as we kick off our Christian-specific segment, I want to go back to the listener supporter mailbag. I held, I held one back. Hey, GPD, 2023 was a pretty good year for me, and part of that was really solidifying a habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. Even though my little Bible app on my phone won't maintain a streak, I still get my time in on that app and with a physical copy. This year, I'm trying to do a little more comprehension work, maybe keep a notebook and write my thoughts after I finish reading for the day. I feel like some books weren't properly stored in my head like they should be. I'd say that, but then when I read or hear a reference at a random verse, or to a random verse, I'm sorry, it all pops back in. Progress is good. As always, thank you for your hard work. I really do appreciate it. You've had a really big impact on my life, and that's from Drew, and I, I thank you very much, Drew. Appreciate it. Uh, I mentioned on last week's show, like when I was in Sunday school, when I was a kid, I used to go to Sunday school. And a lot of times the Sunday school teachers were actual school teachers. And on Sunday, they also did Sunday school classes. And they really, I remember they really had this emphasis on memorizing. We'd spend weeks memorizing you know, orders of different books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We were supposed to be able to recite those in order because they were school teachers. And as, as you all know, school is basically, you know, regular school school is basically memorization exercises. It's not really about learning the material so much. It's about memorizing and being able to repeat back. I carried a lot of that over into adulthood because I remember, you know, you, you, you can't help it when you're a child, 
different things. You're like a blank slate and, and things get programmed into you and you will carry those over into adulthood. And a lot of times you, you, you don't even realize that you're doing things or approaching things a certain way because you're carrying that over from your childhood. Now, the good thing is that when you do realize that, you can make adjustments. I carried a lot of that over into adulthood uh, from my childhood, this thing of, of memorization, because I would always find it so impressive that you have the Bible, which is this massive you know, book with all of this material in it. And some preacher or somebody could stand up or, you know, and, and, and whip it out, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, like a status symbol thing. And they would be like, you know, Matthew seven, verse 14 says, and they recite it off the top of their head. And you're like, you know, you would get this impression like this guy, this guy, man, he really understands the Bible. He could sit that whole thick book. He could sit there and whip out, you know, second Corinthians chapter three, verse nine says, you know, and, and, and regurgitate it back to you. Of course, looking back, I realized that was silly. Of course, he can't remember all of that. He, he has to go, you know, he has several verses that he keeps filed away in his memory that he whips out to impress people with. I came to the realization that that doesn't matter. You know, and, 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 and I, and I bring this up because, uh, of, of, what the listener, what, what Drew wrote here, some of the books aren't properly stored in my head like they should be. And I don't know if you're kind of along the same lines as what I'm talking about or not, but if it is, and, and if not, I apologize for misunderstanding, but if it is, I'm going to tell you right now, that doesn't matter. We'll get rolling here in a minute. I'm going to start, I'm going to read a Bible verse off as, as we get rolling on. I remember the verse. I can't tell you where it is. Thank goodness for thank goodness for internet searches because I remember many many verses from the Bible, and yet when I would decide, okay, well I'm going to read that verse, I've got to go look it up. I, I can't sit there. I don't remember. Well, I remember that was exactly, you know, I I was that was exactly in Romans chapter seven. You know, I I, I don't remember. I know roughly where it is, and given a long, you know, honestly, given enough time, I could probably fumble around and find it. But that takes too long. Ain't nobody got time for all that. In other words, I, and you know what? I don't worry. I don't even worry about that. Uh, I don't even worry about the fact that I can't sit here and say, man, I should be able to remember that that was in, you know, Second Chronicles chapter 12. You know, I, I don't even worry about that. And I don't believe, and this is my belief, all of these things, I just share my experiences with y'all in my own ongoing spiritual growth and development. This whole segment, what we do, this whole project is just me basically sharing my experiences as I've gone along and hopefully as y'all are on your spiritual growth journey here as you're on your mission to mature spiritually you know maybe if I can share some of the stuff I've experienced it'll help y'all along and you know that's always you know the intention of what we do here but I believe that unlike the school teacher who's concerned with you know you being able to remember and regurgitate things back I believe that what the Lord is more interested in is whether or not the material soaks in, you know, whether or not you actually understand somebody who has great memorization and can stand up there and posture and say, you know, Acts chapter 10 verse 12 says, and try to impress everybody with his memorization skill may, on the other hand, not have a clue what any of these Bible verses actually mean, what the spiritual meaning is what God was trying to, re, what God is relaying to us, was what the writer of, say, a particular letter in the Bible is trying to communicate to us, the overall meaning. It doesn't matter if a person can remember all of these books and verses and whip them off the top of their head. Don't even concern yourself with that. Don't, don't even worry about that. What matters, what God is concerned about is the law being written on your heart, these, these words written on your heart. The Spirit will remind you, and it comes back to you. You'll run into something as you go through. And again, I'm just sharing my experiences. As you go through and, and, and read and learn and understand these things, you'll run into situations or you will be contemplating about something. Or say you read some uh, a chapter out of, out of the Bible, and 
as you're pondering that, you'll remember another verse. And you can't remember, you know, what book and verse it was. You just remember it. I believe it's the Spirit that reminds you of these verses because it's relevant. Wouldn't matter if you could just regurgitate by memory certain things. What matters is when you encounter a situation that the uh, relevant Bible passage, Bible lessons, the spiritual lessons relayed in the Bible comes back to you. I believe that's the Holy Spirit that reminds you of these things. That is true learning. Not being able to just simply memorize and 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 regurgitate some verses back, but to truly grasp that meaning. And on a final note, and I do kind of going long on on this subject, but on a final note, again sharing my own experience, what I found is in prayer, and I, as as I prayer as I have gone along on this journey, I find that prayer. I spend a lot less time. I remember just. You know, just a few short years ago, it seems like just not that long ago. But I mean, my prayers would sometimes just go on and on. <laughs> and I, I look back and, and I realize I said, and I was thinking, you know, anymore, I can spend a lot of time in prayer now and never utter a word. I believe that reading from your Bible and really spending time trying to understand what God is saying, trying to wrap your heart around it. Even if you're having to speak out loud, not necessarily in prayer, but just speaking out loud and trying to work through this and trying to figure it out, I believe that is a form of prayer. And I believe as you go along, you find that your prayers are a whole lot less of you talking and a whole lot more of you learning and in learning what is written in these things uh, which God has given us to understand you know, it, it becomes more basically, essentially, your prayer is less of you talking and more of you listening. And, and this is this, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a very good thing. Now, let's keep on moving into, uh, into uh, the rest, the remainder of our topics here. Uh, let's see here. Romans chapter seven, verse 25, 21 through 25 says, I remembered that off the top. No, I did not remember that. I did remember the essence of what was written, but I had to go back. I had to go back and, and, and look it up. I knew what I wanted. I knew what Bible verse I wanted, but I had to, I had to internet search it so that I wouldn't sit here and spend hours. Well, that wouldn't take hours, but I don't have to waste a bunch of time trying to ruffle through here because I can't remember chapter and verse. I just remember the message here. We're going to start off, though, seriously here. We're going to start off with a little little Bible. We're going to do Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25, and we'll get into what I thought we'd talk about today. Uh, Paul writes here, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. One of the things I really love about the Bible in its entirety is the way it does not sugarcoat things and the honest portrayal that, that, that is given, uh, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Paul, what we, wrote, what we read just here, Paul was writing in the book of Romans. And, you know, you think about it, and, 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 and he's being very honest with where he is. Most people wouldn't do that. Most people want to put up a front. Most people want everybody would want everybody around them. And you think about it, if the average man was writing this, if, I don't know, an average preacher, say, of today were writing this, you know, he's going to make himself look as good as possible. If a man were writing this and knowing that, people thousands of years into the future would be reading his words, it would be really tempting to write about what a great guy he is and how sound in the spirit and sin shall not touch my flesh. And yet Paul gives us this, this very honest, this, this 
painfully honest evaluation of himself. Even in in in, in it's in the Old Testament as well. You know, the, all of all of these people are portrayed flaws and all. There's not some sort of, you know, brushing over the ugliness. Paul gives us just in this little bit that we've read here. Paul gives this painfully honest self evaluation and shares it, not with the people, not only with the people he was sending the letter to, but with countless people who have read these verses over thousands of years. How many of us could do that? If you could write a honest, painfully honest self-evaluation of all of your flaws and and know that countless people were going to read it thousands of years into the future, that would be a pretty tough thing to do. It'd be very tempting to sugar key, sugarcoat things over. Talk about how, how spiritually pure you are. Nobody wants to air their dirty laundry. But it's so important that Paul did this, that we understand. You know, we, we struggle with things that are but common to man. And, and we get hung up on these struggles and we think, you know, oh, this is something special. No, no, my sins are extra bad. No, they're not. You struggle with the same crap that people have struggled with. You are not that special. It's the same crap that people have always struggled with. It can be of a different degree, perhaps. But no, you're not. You haven't. A new sin has not been invented just for you. You're not the first one to deal with it. Now, I, I, I use this verse here because I wanted to talk about this struggle between the spiritual nature and the sinful nature. This struggle we all have as believers. Now, we do have to praise God because we are in the struggle. Understand that the struggle itself is a reassurance of the promise of our salvation. Let me say that again. The struggle People be like, I wish I had a son. I mean, I have faith, but sometimes my faith wavers, and and I I have to, you know, I I I hope it's all going to be worth it at the end. The struggle is a sign from God of the promise. You wouldn't be struggling with it if you didn't have a spiritual nature. If you wouldn't, if you weren't driven to these things, you'd be like every. You look around this world. Look around this country you live in. People just wandering around, wallowing in in, in this garbage. They, they're wallowing in the sin and, and, and just saying it's great. Why are you choosing? Why are you driven to struggle against sin? What is it that's driving you to say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do somehow do better. What do you think that is? It would be a lot easier to join everybody else who's wallowing in the filth. Why are you not? You see, the struggle itself is a reminder that God's word is true and the promise is true. Now, because this struggle of our sinful nature and spiritual nature is something that is ongoing, like for the rest of your life, basically, on some level or another, is an ongoing thing. It could, it could get kind of discouraging. And, and, and Paul, you know, with what we just read here about Paul talking about the very same thing. Now, we know that we're under grace. Um, through Christ. But as we look at this struggle, understand you're aware of the struggle of the spiritual nature and the sinful nature. At the end of the day, understand, you know, you think of it and it's like a tug of war or, or, or a battle, whatever, however you want to think about it. You know, whichever side wins is up to you. And what I mean by that is it comes back to our own decision making you know the devil I always say the devil can't make you do anything you know the devil made me do it is a lie the devil can't make you do, he can lie to you and he can try to trick you and deceive you and, and jerk you all around but at the end of the day it always has to be your decision he can't accuse you if you don't have a decision to make it's always got to be about your decision you know it's and likewise, on the other side of that, on the spiritual side of that, God will never take away your free will. As long as if you're a living person on the face of this earth, even if you're the most wicked piece of shit that ever existed, God will not take away your free will. You have free will. That is an absolute. That is an absolute from God. You have your free will. You, he does not take that 
away from you. God will not take your free will away from you. So if you lean into the spirit and you, you choose to pursue the things of the spirit, you're doing that of your free will. You are exercising your free will to seek the things of the spirit. Likewise, if you turn and choose the things of sin, you're doing that of free will. The devil may try to trick you. The devil may lie, will lie to you. He will deceive you. He will do everything he can, but he cannot grab you and force you into sin. He cannot do that because he has to be able to, the whole point of what the devil does is he wants to be able to accuse you. He wants to look at, he wants to be able to, to point at you and tell God, look what, Look, this is what you, you created this in your image and said it was going to have authority over angels. And look what they're doing. Look at the way they're treating themselves. Look at the way they, they, they act toward their own image, the what, what they do with their own flesh. He wants to be able to accuse you. If somebody just physically grabs you and, 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 shoves your head into something, you know, you have no ability. He can't accuse you of that. I mean, they're torturing you, but, but there's no accusation to be made and the devil doesn't get anything out of that. Which side of this struggle that you deal with, which side wins is up to you. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to have the strength to just walk away from sin. No, I'm, as we've already discussed, it is an ongoing struggle, but the decision every single time to continue to try to turn back and get closer to work on the spiritual. You know, you are deciding whichever side of that sin, sinful nature, spiritual nature struggle, it's up to you. You get to choose the winner. And it all comes down to what you're going to turn towards, where you're setting your mind. And this is a difficult thing. Make no mistake for us. Listen to me now for us as Christian believers living in the West, living in the U.S. in particular. This is the spiritual equivalent of living in the Gaza, of living in the Gaza Strip, and we're the Palestinians. <laughs> For Christian believers living in the West today, living in the U.S. today, this is like being a Palestinian living in the Gaza Strip, and you're being bombed with this cultural rot. You're being bombed with sin. Maybe, maybe by and large, by a lot of the same group of people. Amazingly, ironically enough, it's you know, because we are we're bombarded. This culture that you can't get away from it. It is not like you know, two hundred years ago, you could go live out in the woods or something. It's just not possible. You can set your heart as as firm as you want to, and and you're going to run into some. It's it's everywhere. You're going to run into some form of sinful temptation, some sort of distraction. There are just constant. We live in a world of constant white noise. There is, it is so difficult to find any sort of time for silence, any sort of time for silence where you can listen for God, where you can seek your spiritual nature. You can seek some spiritual grounding, reset your mind, get rebalanced in your mind. It is so difficult to do that. We live in a world, a society of constant white noise. They're constantly dropping bombs on us. And there's no getting away from it. It's like we're fenced in. We're the Palestinians. We read about saints of the past, uh, these, these great men who, who developed incredible spiritual insights. And we think, wow, you know, why can't I be like that? But those people, a lot of those people, they lived in more or less solitude. Even if they had other people around, them, they might live in a monastery or they, they lived in such a different time that they could find you know, solitude so that they could speak, they could uh, rather seek these things and seek to understand them and ultimately write them down so that we can gain from their wisdom. They were able to, they didn't live in this society of constant white noise. You cannot you cannot focus on the the things of the spirit while you're constantly being bombarded while 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 they're constantly dropping sin bombs on you, cultural rot bombs on you. You know, you just can't. You know, I, one of the torture methods that the U.S. military uses, and this is well documented. One of the torture methods that they like to use is they will put somebody in a prison cell and keep the lights on bright. And blare loud music at them 24 hours a day 
seven days a week and it breaks your mind because you cannot have this constant noise. Your mind never gets a rest. Somehow this is acceptable. They claim that that somehow that's acceptable torture. I love how they try to split hairs, you know. Oh, we don't torture like other uh, other countries do because you know, our democracy values of who we are. But we do do these acceptable, and they, of course, as usual, try to use word magic, you know. Uh, exceptional interrogation techniques. <laughs> it's not torture. We named it something else. A blast, this music in your mind never has a moment to rest because there's just this constant sensory input and it breaks, it breaks your mind. On a lesser scale, but same sort of thing as society, we live in a white noise society and it never goes away. It just, it's so hard to get away from. You can get away from it, but it takes conscious effort to find this quiet time. And we're so used to it. We're so indoctrinated to it that we sometimes we don't know how react to it you will say okay i'm setting aside an hour this morning everybody's going to be out of the house i'm going to set aside an hour this morning i'm going to pray i'm going to read my bible and i'm going to seek the lord and you see you, you all good intentions and here you go here's your time you set aside and you seek the lord and you sit down and you start seeking out the lord and and, and like in, a, in like five minutes your mind is thinking about man i gotta get this project done I got to get this project at work done. I got to do, oh, wait, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be seeking the Lord. Why am I thinking about that? But I got to get that done. You know what that is? That is the residual effect of being used to this constant white noise. You don't know how to turn those things off. It's, it takes work. You, you got to learn to turn those things off because you, it's so difficult to get away from it. To get away from the bombs dropping, the sin bombs dropping on us. Here in the cultural Gaza Strip. It's so get away. You try. And yet it's so hard. You will find yourself not, you know, your mind doesn't want to settle down and focus on the things that you want to focus on. There's still that ever present, that ever present distraction. People get conditioned. You get conditioned to the white noise and you adapt to it. And then you don't know how to act without it. I see a lot of people like that. And, 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 and you'll see it. You, you, you'll know people probably maybe in your family and, and you'll, you'll, you'll walk into a room and there's no one in there. They're in there and they're doing something, but they'll have the radio blast or they'll have the TV on and it'd be on some rando channel. And you know, they're not watching it because if they were watching it, they would have switched the channel to something else. And you walk in and they're, they're doing something and they got the TV blasting away in the background. And, and you ask them, you'll say, why do you have the TV on? You're not even watching that. And nine times out of ten, I guarantee the answer. Well, I just like the background noise. I, I, I like having the background noise. See, this is where people are conditioned to the constant white noise. They don't know how to operate without it. If there was silence, it would be unsettling for them. This is such a sign of how sick our current society is. People are terrified of silence. They're, they're, they're so uncomfortable with silence. They got to turn something on. They got to have some noise. Got to have some noise in the background. Turn on the radio. It doesn't matter if it's on a station that plays music I don't like. I just like to have the background music. You see it everywhere. You can't go and sit down in a restaurant. They got to have music playing. Why? Because everybody is conditioned to have that constant white noise, that constant background. Heaven forbid if you're alone with your thoughts. If it's silence, you might have time to start thinking about things, and we can't have that. Have to have the constant noise, constant background noise going all the time. Keeps us, keeps the people distracted, reeling things back in just, just a little bit though. Uh, you cannot go about your day-to-day -day life in this society and not be tempted by sin externally. I'm talking about external temptations being presented with some form. It's usually a lot of times it may be low level temptation but you will you're not one of the saints of old living in a monastery somewhere in solitude and silence constantly seeking out the lord and and writing these things down and and thinking and pondering and and dedicating your mind to these things you live in clown world society you live in the gaza strip you can't you gotta go about your life and it's like you might spend that hour seeking the Lord and you're done and you're like, praise be to Jesus. I feel better. I feel like I was spiritually grown here. 
And then you're going to get in your car and you're going to go to town because you, whether you're going to work or maybe you've got to go do some shopping. And in your little shopping trip, you are going to be confronted with some, you're just going to be confronted with it. You know, you're going to have to, you can drive down, the, you're driving down the highway and you're thinking about, man, I put off the sinful nature and I'm thinking about Jesus and you're driving down the road and, and you look up and there's a billboard advertising, I don't know, liquor or jewelry at a department store. And, and, and you look up and there's an attractive woman on there with her tits hanging half out. And you're like, oh, don't look, don't look, no, 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 no. You see, and, and it's, and you just, boom, they bomb in your, <laughs> they bomb in your hospital. You can't. You're not going to get away. Understand. You live where you live. You live in the world you live in. You live in the clown world, sick ass society that you live in. They know it just is what it is. You ain't going to escape it. You go out your life. You're going to run into. You're just going to. You can't escape it. It's going to be there. That's why you got to. You've got to focus on the spirit as much as you can. Most people can't spend an hour a day because they don't. I understand. This is also a part of how Satan tries to rig this game against us. Most people do not have the time to sit and and, and to spend an hour a day in setting their hearts on the Lord and and trying to firm up and learn and grow in the spiritual nature. They don't. They got to go to work. The the way you you got your job and you got to go make a living and all that. And yet, even just an hour a day, you think about it, you have an hour a day. Say you're going to spend 12 hours out and about, I don't know, probably more than that. Say 16 hours of your waking day from time you get up in the morning, time you go to bed and go to sleep at night. Even if you have an hour a day, you think about it, out of 16 hours, that means the devil's got another 15 hours to, to bomb your hospital to bomb your refugee convoy or whatever. And, 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 and you know, that one hour has got to hold you up against the other 15 hours. And then you factor in the fact that most people don't even have time for the one hour. Most people maybe, maybe go to church once a week or once a month or not at all. Maybe spend 10 minutes trying to read some Bible verses and think about the Lord before they got to go up and start running from bombs again. They just, just, yeah, it's it's like, this is how the game gets, you know, it's like how this society is and it just is what it is. So it's important to do what you can. Again, I understand people got to work and you just, you literally don't have time, but take the time that you can because these other the devil's got all this stacked up against you. Like I said, even if you had an hour every day, and most people do not, he's going to take that other 15 hours to bomb you with BS. You do so, so take what time you can. Because at the end of the day, you, do, you are not powerless. At the end of the day, you can still continue to make the decisions to continue to keep turning your heart towards the spiritual nature and turning your heart towards the Lord. You, you're not overwhelmed. You know the devil wants you to feel overwhelmed, but you still have the power. You got to take that power back. You got the power to make the right decisions. And again, as I said at the beginning of this whole thing, that struggle is a reminder. This is a sign of the promise that God's word is true. We're going to wrap up on that note. Hope you got something out of it. You know, that's always always the goal here. I appreciate you stopping uh, stopping by this week. I hope you'll get a chance to check out our, our new content Monday through Friday here at Radio Albion. Dr. Johnson will be back up tomorrow with his Orthodox Nationalist show. And he'll be back on Thursday uh, with his Daily Nationalist show, which is something I always look forward to. Always look forward to Matt's work. And I'll be back here on Friday, of course, to wrap your work week up with uh, with a final installment of the Daily Nationalist for the week. So again, thank you for stopping by, and hopefully I'll see you here next week for the Parish of the Patriots. <laughs>